Hey everyone, welcome back to Buzzing About Romance podcast. I am Becky. And I'm Leah. And on this episode of Buzzing About Romance, we are joined by author and audio narrator Joe Arden. Uh, We are celebrating the release of his debut solo written book, The Chameleon Effect. And you read this. I read this. I did read this. We we both read this. It's very good. It's very good. It it's is. a great debut. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's the key. There's some debut like writer issues with it, but when it's a debut book, if you if there's not an issue, it's very surprising. Very surprising. Um, <laughs> read us Joe's bio. Joe Arden is one of the industry's most prolific and decorated narrators of romance and erotica. He has won every major industry award, including the Audis and Sovas Awards. He has also received several audiophiles earphones awards who have, who have had this to say about him. Arden's smoky baritone, passionate and believable, packs a wallop in the sultry department. The Chameleon Effect is Joe's first solo writing credit. He released How to Get Lucky in 2021 alongside New York Times bestseller Lauren Blakely. He's a vocal advocate for consent and equality. In his free time, he trains and fosters rescue pit bulls. He loves connecting with fans. So a couple other things to note before we get into the interview. Our new merch shop is open and we have opened... Uh, We added our exclusive I Licked Him First book boyfriend t-shirt from our uh, book boyfriend tour episode. And there's a variety of sweatshirts, mugs, and t-shirts over there. So, oh, uh, the link is on our website. So make sure you um, check that out. And another thing. And also, we have some exciting little news, little tidbits. Make sure you stick around after the interview because we have an exclusive audio clip featuring Mr. Joe Arden, and it is from Fractured Sky by Catherine Cowles. So Becky and I have not listened to this clip yet. It is a blind listen, and we are super excited about it. So to the interview. Welcome to the podcast, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be here. We are super excited to have you. Um, this is this is kind of a new place for you to be. This is uh, we are actually here to celebrate your debut as a solo author. Uh, yeah, it's a whole new wardrobe for me, and uh, it feels great to have this outfit on. So <laughs> I had to continue that clothing analogy for some reason. <laughs> You, you felt like you wanted to lose it there right in the middle, but I did. You, since you started, you kind of had to stick with it. Uh, well, yeah, it's uh, well, I've, I've worn a lot of different hats inside of this space. And um, the response to this from the community already has been very unique and sort of um, hotter, like it, more than anything else that I've done. And so I'm kind of riding the energy of the people that really appreciate how difficult it is to write a whole fucking book, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, um, Yeah, we tell people that all the time that we will totally, both Leah and I work in the industry on the editorial side. We will fix your words, but we, but we are not write writing them. Yeah. Um, and I love to create. And I have found in the history of my own sort of artistic journey that I really love to be in the company of other people. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm a collaborative creator. So this had some pretty unique challenges for me 
um, insofar as like, I, I like having a voice to bounce ideas off of somebody else that can be critical before strangers tell me their opinion. <laughs> But that's fair, though, because like, so if you think about it in your in the audio side of things, you get the script, you read the script, you talk to the producer, you might talk to the author, you talk if you're doing it duet style, you're talking to them. But to write a book, you just had to sit down and type some words and put some pencil to paper and create this on your own. And and at the end of the day, um, the artistic license for the narrator is limited to the words that are on the page. I mean, mm-hmm. I um, can bring what I can to the material, but there is also this like marriage of what the narrator as their own actor and artist feels the material warrants. And then there is an understanding that we are responsible for the authorial voice and for their vision. And so your performance has to be tempered by all the clues that the text has given you because it is their name on this creative property on this entity at the end of the day and now i mean one of the wildest things for me was the day that the audible pre-order went up and i refreshed the thing the joe arden search with the over 500 titles and there it was at the top and it said by joe arden narrated by joe arden and i was like well there's no fucking hiding from this one (laughs) (laughs) this one is mine yep all of the blame praise everything is is it you like nobody else yeah i mean and it feels great i mean what it was so it was really exciting to see that to see my name there in both kind of a surreal moment uh it was very it was very surreal and uh yeah and again having been able to do this with uh, somebody as accomplished as Lauren Blakely uh, was an incredible way to kind of figure out how to swim in this water. Um, And then to, you know, take those floaties off and be on my own for this one was like, once you see that name all by itself, then there it is. So uh, we've moved from the closet to the pool (laughs) following the... (laughs) But you have a really great... I think that because of your background, you read hundreds of romance books a year. Hundreds. Uh, yeah. And so you have, you are simply an authority just on that because you see a variety. You don't just read indie. You read Treadpub. You read dark. You read rom-com. And so going into that, like, you probably have a basis that not a lot of other authors have because you've seen all the other voices and have such an authority because how long have you been narrating? You've been narrating for at least what, five or six years at least. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I think it's 560 titles in I think about six or seven years. So you come in with an authority of like, yeah, I've seen this happen or I've seen this book and if I wrote it myself, I might do this differently. So your knowledge base is way different than the majority of authors coming into this genre. Yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of authors that work in the space, one of the things that's been incredible uh, is how giving and generous authors are in this community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do think that there are a lot of authors that really do consume a lot of content that other folks are creating too. So uh, I don't think I'm alone in the sort of um, 
camp of people that are devouring books. I mean, <laughs> I was so overwhelmed and blown away by the number of authors whose work I had narrated who were not just answering my emails, were contacting me, asking me for an early copy of the book. And we're like, I want to read this. I were like, please let me see how you've done here and let me celebrate it. And um, so that's just been extremely gratifying. And I will say like sort of the, the knowledge of having read and worked on so many of these books is both a blessing and a curse because on the other side of it, there's this like fear. Like I have a great deal of respect for the craft and I didn't want to I didn't want to fuck it up mm -hmm. <laughs> like um, I wanted to be able to uh, come in here and add uh, something to the form and not sort of, you know, uh, co-opt it or take ownership of it because I don't feel like I uh, should. I don't think anybody should, but I certainly don't think I should. And uh, so that was there's some fear when you read a lot of great words. And as you said, like I'm working with narrators, I'm sorry, with authors um, from, you know, <laughs> New York Times bestsellers to first-time authors, and so many of them are great with turn of phrase and character development and conflict and setting, and uh, so it was terrifying <laughs> too. Like if I hadn't done a whole bunch, maybe I would have been like, oh, I don't know, this could be easy. No, I think any author that we talk to, like they all have that natural reaction of terror before they either have like push publish or like their company pushes publish. And I think it's a natural reaction to have that sort of fear that you're putting yourself out there and maybe people aren't going to accept it in the way that you're, you want. Yeah. Well, then I'm glad I'm not alone in that sentiment. Cause I do, uh, I do feel that I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited, but I'm also terrified. <laughs> <laughs> so when you started writing your book, did you plot it out or did you kind of write it as it came to you? So the prologue came to me in like a fugue state one night, <laughs> like I wrote the whole prologue in a second. And the, the prologue came about because when How to Get Lucky finished, um, I had a lot of people that were just sort of asking like, will I ever do this by myself? Am I ever going to try my own hand at this? Um, and not, I didn't feel like I was hiding behind Lauren. I stand by what I contributed to that book, which I think Lauren would vouch for the fact that I was a, an active participant in the writing journey there. Mm -hmm. um, but this is on my own. This has just my name on it. And so I think that there was this like sense of um, what the, the question I answered for myself was, if I'm going to tell a story, What story is it that I personally should be telling? Start from a place of my own truth and what my POV looks like in this community and write a story that is as authentic to that vantage point as I could possibly be, mm -hmm. uh, which is one of the reasons that this book is male POV with female interludes and not the more traditional straight 50-50 Uh, alternating chapters or even heavily skewed toward the female perspective. It's not that I was scared necessarily of writing the female voice. I knew I still needed to create three-dimensional female characters in this world. And I love the women in this book, um, from Raven to his sister-in-law, Hazel, and his, uh, his niece, Lexi, who's a lot of people's favorite character. Mm -hmm. um, it was just that I wanted to start, especially my first time out of the gates, from what I knew. 
And what I know is what it's like to be me. So I try to infuse this story from that perspective. And that's why, so the prologue is like all, is like a love letter to Los Angeles, which is my hometown and where this book takes place and is very much like an active character in this book. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's, that's where I started. And I was like, okay, keep asking yourself that question, Joe, as you're working, why are you telling this story? And if you're diverting from that, then you're probably not in the field you need to be in. Like, get yourself back. I thought the way that you structured the story with um, Liam's point of view for most of it, but those interludes, like, I thought it was a really interesting take because sometimes we get like a a random point of view from the opposite character, but the interlude, Mm. like entitling it an interlude, it gave it a a different feel. Like it was almost like a commercial aspect to it, but not in a bad way. But I thought it was interesting because you get these in the moment emotions from Raven and how she's dealing with stuff like in that video, but it plays really well into the tie-in of the previous and the next chapter. And you don't always get that when you're adding something a little bit different in a story. Uh, Thank you for saying that. I worked really hard to make all of her interludes matter to that moment in the story. Mm -hmm. Um, These aren't just like, oh, we just kind of need to hear from her. Something is happening in her journey and in their shared journey for which her talking about clothing in some specific way can act as a kind of metaphor for where they are Mm -hmm. in in that landscape. Um, And it was really freeing to kind of share emotional truths from the female perspective without her ever having to talk about her feelings. And so what was fun for me as a man who has feelings and is not ashamed to admit them and in fact think, thinks that there's a lot of power and strength in being emotionally available or at least being emotionally honest with those people in your life, um, it was really fun for Liam to then bear the brunt of the emotional talking mm-hmm. and for Raven to kind of get these moments where she's the one who we're getting to know her emotional journey, but she's not talking about that. She's talking about her career. She's talking about her passion. And it is in the way she's talking about it that we learn oh, she's excited about this date or, oh, she's really scared of all of these things falling apart or, oh, she's really concerned about this, that, or the other thing, so. Well, and I love the fact that as an artist in her craft, like she uses her emotions in her work and you can tell like with the way that those interludes like play out is like she is channeling her emotions. Cause I mean, there are some people who they don't like to talk about their feelings. They don't like to, to put those out into the world, but they, they've channeled them in a different way. And like art in any form is one of the best things to do that. I thought it was a really interesting concept. Awesome. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm very glad to hear that. I also liked that kind of like what you said that Liam had to do the heavy lifting for the emotion in this book because we don't get that very often. And so it made this unique spin and it also, the interludes at times almost felt like, breaking the fourth wall without breaking the fourth mm-hmm. wall and as a theater junkie i really loved that i loved that it was kind of a different way that we were speaking to the crowd without directly speaking to the crowd so i really really enjoyed that i liked that piece of the story um very much i'm, I'm really glad they were fun to write um once i got over my fear there of like being authentic for raven um and I kind of, I, I realized the same thing with my narration at some point in my career. 
um, early on, as I'm working on these characters, I was always concerned about sounding like a woman. And then I stopped doing that um, and realized that that's just a sort of, that's not a thing. <laughs> like, nobody's, there is no sound. I've talked to men with high voices and women with low voices. I've talked to, um, like, black guys with deep voices. And, like, you look at Tony Gwynn and uh, Tim Duncan, two of the most famous black athletes of all time. They have voices that sit high in the register. There's, there's a, a type of person does not have a type of voice. Mm -hmm. So why would I was I was trying to be a woman and that's not working. Be a person. That person has all the same hopes, fears, anxieties and wishes that the male characters have that you're playing. So in those moments, let them pursue their goals in the same way. And I think I needed to learn that as a narrator before I'm, I'm at least I'm glad that I learned that as a narrator before I tried my hand at writing a book, because I think it's a critical distinction that both genders and anybody from any kind of background needs to know that, like, on some fu fundamental way, in some fundamental level, humans are just pursuing their objectives. And you need to tap into what somebody wants and let them do everything they can to achieve that goal. I agree. I agree completely because it is. It's about the hum human story, the personal story. And this book absolutely hits those personal experiences, particularly for Liam. Like, I just felt kind of we got this really you kind of peeled back all these layers of him. And I love the title because you, you know, chameleon effect. Be and it is because you change sometimes within that moment of who you are to fit the moment but then we learned like there's so much more to him and i really i just i really did enjoy that um that you kind of made this more of a personal human journey than just a dude doing some things <laughs> and finding love uh yeah i mean again this was an opportunity for me to explore so my one of my acting mentors um, I was working on a, a Shakespeare play and this, this is like, he's one of the, uh, preeminent scholars in like American Shakespeare study and directing and training and, um, working on this character. And he's talking to me about this monologue and he asks me this specific question about my life. And I started to answer it. Like I was going to reveal this personal truth to him. And he said, stop, I don't want to hear your story. I want you to tell me your story through this monologue. When you say that sentence, what in your life does that resonate with? I don't ever need you to tell me that part of your journey. But you have an opportunity here to use this character and these words to tell that truth and to share your story through your interpretation of what that line means, what this monologue means, what this scene is about. And I applied that principle to this book <laughs> and have a character that gets to share many truths that uh, are caked inside of this fun, fictitious story. <laughs> so this was obviously different than writing your last book you wrote with Lauren. Um, did you have to change your mindset a little bit? Because you didn't have that co-writer to bounce everything off of. Like, this was uniquely on you. Did your mindset change a little bit? Or did you use kind of a similar writing process? Um. For me, um, the two things that I think Lauren really provided me with first and foremost was scheduling and deadlines. Uh, Lauren is 
uh, such a prolific writer and gets so many words down in a year um, that I, I was so terrified of like holding her up or slowing her down that when she needed pages, it didn't matter what was going on in my life, I got those pages done. If there was a chapter I needed to work on, it was done. And now all of a sudden I'm doing this myself and it's like, well, I spent the day recording, I took my dog on a hike, I'm kind of tired, um, maybe I don't write tonight, <laughs> you know, and then <laughs> not writing tonight turned into a week and then it was a month and then it was oh i've i've left this for so long i'm terrified to go back do i have to start at the beginning do i read this first twenty thousand words like so much anxiety about telling this cohesive story in that space and uh before we were on here we were talking about uh just the way we keep notes and take track of like of our own lives and um i think uh leah you were mentioning like post-it notes and like physical reminders uh -huh. that was critical for me um i have a I had a dry erase board with information on all the characters so that I wouldn't lose any of those critical details, moments, elements, aspects of who they were. And it was this big, ugly, white dry erase board that took up all this space in my office that was like, hey, uh, dude, you have a story that's unfinished. Like, do you want to get this dry erase board out of here? You need to finish. Um, and I remembered the advice of another uh teacher that I had in grad school who said, uh, don't get it right, get it written. I think that might have been, he might have been quoting Hemingway or something, but, uh, um, and so I was kind of, I said, uh, I put on my refrigerator, again, to have a physical reminder, uh, make progress, not excuses. And it sat on the refrigerator longer than I'd like to admit, but eventually I did kind of figure it out. Um, so I think that was actually one of the hardest parts was just like carving out the time. And then that, that person, that sounding board became really terrifying. I would plot an idea in my head. I sort of had a sense of where the story needed to go. Um, but then I was like, well, I kind of have to dive in and just go and start pushing them in that direction and see where it ends up. And if it belongs in the story, if it elevates the story, if it moves the dramatic tension, if it builds on their character relationships, whatever. Um, and that mercifully, um, I ended up with an incredible editor, uh, Rebecca Hodgkins, who took my good story and I made me make it a much better book. <laughs> like really found structural issues and was like, you're too soft on him here. Like this part of your story needs to be amplified. It's too late to learn this thing about this part and da, 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 da. And I really had to then go back in and find it and restructure it to get it where it is. And I'm very proud of where it is now as far as the stakes and the tension and all that. So. <laughs> so overall, what do you hope people take away from your stories? So, you know, you're putting this book out into the world and, you know, Liam is not a perfect hero. He is very human um, with his flaws and some of the choices that he makes. But at the end of the day, what do you hope when somebody hits the end of your story? What do you hope they take away from your stories? Um, I want people to feel good and I want people to feel unapologetically like they are spending their time well and wisely by immersing themselves in love stories. Uh, I'm so tired of this community having to apologize for itself. I think it's ludicrous how stigmatized a love of love stories is and how cavalier we are, particularly in America, with violence and human degradation and how 
um, sort of myopic we can be when it comes to people unapologetically loving love. And uh, there's nothing wrong with knowing that a story's going to turn out okay in the end. <laughs> if that's the story you want to hear, then dive in and enjoy it. And it was freeing for me while writing to know that this is going to get to work out. And in, in other ways, one of the things that was so fun for me to write was like, it's not just about their relationship and the fact that they find love or find each other. It's about the world they live in and the people they're surrounded by. So writing scenes where Liam gets to talk to his best friend about his feelings, about his anxiety, about his career, um, his uh, developing feelings for a person in his life, or knowing that he can always go to his brother's house to check in, knowing that he wants to spend time with his niece and having that family dynamic. Um, all of it is just a part of this beautiful, bright, colorful story that hopefully makes people feel good. And I don't think anybody should have uh, anything bad to say about that. And I think that the whole world would be a better place if we spent more time uh, loving love and telling more love stories. So I'm really very grateful to have finally been able to tell one of my own. Was So in this, for this book, you went from author to narrator. You narrated yeah. your own book. Was that hard to switch your mind off and not like edit and tweak your own words as you're trying to narrate your story? That's a really insightful question <laughs> like I'm <laughs> you I'm very surprised that you thought of how difficult that would be actually like because I think it's for people that consume audiobooks you don't really think about the technical elements that go into kind of putting the thing together you just hear this finished product and I frankly also did not have the foresight that you just had my uh game plan was I wrote the book, I finished the book, and then I actually put it away for a month. And I was like, great, 30 days, I've got my final draft, um, then I'm going to know this story and I'm going to come back and record it fresh and having totally turned off Author Joe and can immerse myself back in the storyteller. And I couldn't fucking do it. <laughs> First of all, this question came to me in the shower, and then Leah got a random text from me. Like, Just random. She's, I like and totally I asked no this question. Idea what the fuck she was talking about? It's but, I, yeah. The reason I the, what actually brought it up was is we did an interview a couple week about a month ago with um, a couple audio narrators, and then also Katie from Lyric Audio. Mm -hmm. And they were talking about, and one of the people that we talked with was Stella Hunter, who is also an author. And she narrates her own books and she talks about having to turn and flip that switch and remember that you can't keep editing and you can't keep picking at things. <laughs> you just got to read it as it is. And I thought, you did this on your own. This isn't really dual narration or duet. Um, this is just joe and the mic and his story and you kind of have to put a wall in your brain that says stop picking at the words stop reading those <laughs> and perform and i think that has to be incredibly complicated i strode into the booth <laughs> cocksure headstrong and very excited to narrate and i left with my ego firmly in check 
and uh, my leg's a little tired because it took longer than I thought it would take because there were, and because I was so attached to this and obviously wanted to get the performance right. I mean, I wrote this book to perform it. Like, there's no two ways about it. Um, the whole central conceit of this book is that this guy can turn an Irish accent on and off at his own will, and I just thought that would be super fun to perform, to let listeners hear me do that. Um, but that meant that there were whole sections where I was like, I have to, I'm, I'm too busy thinking about the fact that, like, that was a great paragraph, or, oh, I used the same word twice on this page, or whatever. I got to stop and go back and start again and just be the storyteller. Um, and yeah, so I think you're, I won't, I won't make that mistake again. (laughs) (laughs) I, I mean, I have complete awe that you did it. I, um, first of all, I'm in awe that you wrote a story because I cannot write a story. It's just not my thing. And so for somebody to write a book like Bravo, but not only did you write your book, you performed your book. And after years in theater and doing things like that, I'm just, I was completely amazed. And I'm like, whoa, that, that's a lot. <laughs> um, it was a lot. And it's, but I mean, I'm, it was so joyous. It was just so, so joyous. And you asked me like what you hope folks take away that uh, spend time with the story. Um, I hope they also know that like, they'll get to know me a little better that like, behind the mask of that mask, behind the, the the Joe mask and then the Liam mask, um, I felt very free to tell a lot of truth. So there's so much in there that is real to me. And, um, and then there's also just this sort of sense of joy. If you listen to the audio, I hope that you hear how much fun I had uh, recording and producing it. And I will say, as far as the point you made, like uh, I had Maxine Mitchell... Uh, graciously said yes to recording the interlude sections. And my favorite part of the whole audio experience was just listening to her do the interludes. <laughs> I was like, that was the best. Cause then it was like, Oh, those are my words that somebody else is performing. <laughs> and like, there was no added pressure for me. Now I was like, let another artist take this and go with it. Um, so I will say like, you know, because this is inevitable. People are already asking, like, are you going to do another? What, what's next in the writing department and all that? And I'm like, if there is another story in this world, uh, I think that I would make it a point to uh, not narrate it. I think that that would be <laughs> something I would think of at the outset to be like, OK, well, let me tell this story from a perspective that will allow me to highlight a different performer um, and just do that. Because I do so you, love, sorry, I didn't, I, I no, just want to. No, that's fine. Go ahead. I just, Finish I really love, um, I, I've got some people that help me out and work with me. And I, I use the first person plural a lot deliberately because I really don't believe that I do anything by myself. So I think that taking credit for things is, um, it's disingenuous because I really don't believe that I did anything alone. So I shouldn't be taking credit for it. We get to celebrate it and take credit for it. And uh, one of the folks that's been in my corner for a long time that helps us, she's like, no, no, no. She's like, yeah, I get that. But like, you did write this. So like, you get to own, you do, you get to own that part of it. Um, But to that point, like the cover artist, the model for the uh, paperback and for the audio cover, one of my dearest friends, (laughs) 
Like anytime I have an opportunity uh, to bring people in whose work I love or whose uh, passions I really respect, that means a great deal to me. Uh, the character of Raven is loosely based on a friend of mine uh, who works in costumes and fashion. And um, she's just a dear friend of mine. And I was like, hey, I get a chance to like celebrate a person that I admire and respect. How fun is that? Um, the character in the acknowledgments of my book, this isn't even uh, the character of Devante, who is Liam's best friend, is basically a mashup of two of my best friends. <laughs> like his name is their two names uh, like smushed together <laughs> and physically and like his temperament is the two of them in one person. And it was so fun because for me, it was an opportunity to celebrate people that I think deserve to be celebrated too because they're living great lives and doing cool shit. And it's so fun to get to do that. So what do we, what were we talking about? I feel like I lost the handle on that one. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> It's funny you like you saying the we like you don't like to take credit. I use the we in the opposite, where my husband will do like projects at the house and like, yeah, we did this. Uh, <laughs> I did none of it. Right, 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 right. Um, my mom was very fond of. I even remember there was a sweatshirt. Oh yeah, okay. My mom was very fond of the royal we. Yeah. She, re she she referred in our home uh, very frequently to the royal we. <laughs> and that meant that really just that she was speaking on behalf of like the entire monarchy or her overlord of the kingdom of this house. Uh, and then she had another sweatshirt. Whoa, this like I haven't thought of this in a very long time. And this is like hitting me in real time. She had a sweatshirt that was like purple cotton and had in like pink puffy letters. She who must be obeyed on it. And I just remember this woman gallivanting around the house. Paint? Like there's yeah, the like 80s the, right like there. the puff paint vibes and like celebrating the royal we with her she who must be obeyed sweatshirt on. <laughs> That's funny. My mom used to say like our house was a dictatorship, not a democracy, and she wow. was the dictator. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny because, like, my mom didn't have any quirky sweatshirts. She wore hideous windsuits oh, and no, jogging my mom, suits. My mom, so. was, my mom used to make the puff paint sweatshirts. Yeah, I got nothing there. I got nothing. Uh, one of my favorite clothing items is um, that is a is a puff paint sweatshirt that my mom made for my dad, who was the coach of one of my Little League baseball teams. And it says, thanks, coach, in white puff paint with, like, you know, the little, like, icicle tops that it gets like every time uh -huh. you take the thing the pen up yeah. and off of it and then it has a little baseball on it this is thanks coach a little baseball and it fits me <laughs> and i love it <laughs> so awesome that is so awesome um okay so the decision to push publish and put yourself out there for the book because you know we know there are lots of authors that write books that never see and the light of day they go into a box under the bed never to be brought forth again yeah. <laughs> so you made the decision, okay, I wrote this. I believe in this. I am putting it out in the world. How scary was that for you? So I just want to piggyback on that um, initially and say that not only did I make that decision, but I also very deliberately made that decision to publish this independently. Um, I didn't even try and shop this around. I have working relationships with a lot of trad publishers. Um, I record for major uh, print houses, and it never even occurred to me to try and sell this idea to them because I have so much respect for the indie authors that are 
grinding out a living by bearing their soul story after story, month after month or quarter after quarter, however quickly they're churning out that next one or getting to a series. And I wanted to, um, as somebody, because I produce a lot of audio um, and work almost exclusively with these independent romance narrators and authors, rather, I wanted to really cut my teeth on the entirety of that process. And um, I will say that I think that may have been a terrible idea because I really thought that writing this book was hard and nothing has been as difficult as when I made the decision to publish. Uh, all of the legwork and all of the time and all of the planning and organizing and spreadsheets and logistics and timelines and emails and slacks and texts and calls and it's all on me which is when it comes to creative things like making the cover or deciding how I want to print the book that's very exciting and very gratifying and then when it comes to other things like have you set up the game plan to get this much social media out before the five day and the list and I'm like no I what I have no idea what you're talking about I like to tweet about my dog going on hikes <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> <laughs> uh being an indie author is not easy. It is. It is not for the faint of heart. It's a lot. It's a lot. And then you see, I mean, I saw one author I follow who was like giving a shout out to it because another author friend like Amazon blocked her from her account and all these pre-orders got lost. And it's just like you're at the whim of these entities that you have no control over. And what do you do? And like. Um, but what I love about it is in the same way that um, video uh, creators are able to use a platform like YouTube and the incredible high quality cameras inside of everybody's phones now um, in, in, the, in the way that they are able to say nothing is there to prevent me from telling my story, from shooting my film, from doing my vlog. Nothing is preventing me except my will to do it. Um, storytellers in this space are given the same permission with the same, of course, fear. <laughs> nothing is prevent. Nothing stopped me from publishing except my own, you know, misgivings about it, and that is exciting and terrifying for well, some of the reasons we talked about. But and by by being indie, they're your words. Nobody came in. We hear stories, and mm. we've seen it happen where, you know, books go to publishers, and then their editors take out it, and words are changed, and muted or they're told hey you can only use the word ass twice in a book because we fear the two star three star review and as an indie author you have the ability to put the words out into the world that you want to put out there so if the word fuck is in your book eighty seven thousand times that is okay because that might have been that might have been a little overkill i think uh my fans <laughs> would have been pretty pissed if uh the word <laughs> fuck wasn't in there at least a couple of times right so i did i did make sure that that happened uh, <laughs> i remember i was talking to an author and she likes to do the search at the end and she, i think she said she's there was fuck 263 times in her book wow once. uh well i will say um liam in one of the chapters in the book uh liam gets caught or he accidentally curses in front of Lexi because he calls his brother and then he's on speakerphone and he curses right away and then his brother's like and I got the six-year-old in the back seat and that's uh, always what happens because that happens this was that that moment was my uh this book there are so many fucking easter eggs in this thing for people that like <laughs> have followed my content um that Easter egg for me was like a loose nod to all of the moms that have told me stories of when their audiobook is played in their car. 
So this was my, I was like, well, what could Liam do? I'm like, oh yeah, like he could curse in front of his niece that he loves and, you know, and so he'll do it when he calls his brother. Uh, and so, uh, but he does say this to her. Uh, there are no bad words, just the wrong time to use certain words. And he was very excited in the moment. And so he says, he's like, and I'm pretty pumped right now, uh, Lexi Bean, so I'm standing by this one. So uh, it may very well be that that other story, there are 263 perfect times to say fuck. Yeah. That actually is a really, like, it's a profound way to put it. Honestly, like when our kids, like Be Becky's kids are older, so it's not as bad, but my kids are a little bit younger and they'll walk into our conversations and like, I won't have headphones on and I like yeah. put my, and we FaceTime all the time. So I'll be like, I have a kid intervene or I just show her the kids. We talked so about censor. outdoor sex kinks. We were talking about outdoor sex kinks and in walks my 16 year old who's 17 now. And she just looks at me and she's like, really? And After I was that like, conversation, yes. he's 27 now. She's 27 now. <laughs> <laughs> she just shakes like, her head at us and walks <clears throat> away. And leaves. She doesn't come into the office very often now when Leah and I are on the phone. Because she's just like, I don't know what you two are talking about half the time. And I'm like, it's okay. You have the most rounded education of any other 17-year-old in the whole world look, I'm prepping you for real life in college. Yeah. And look, I mean, this is the same thing. Like, it, I think that children are way more capable of devouring ideas than many adults are willing to give them credit for or possibly are too scared to dive into themselves. I used to take care of this kid. My survival job when I lived in New York was as a Manny and um, this family that I grew really close to her, uh, her husband had died. So this woman is raising a boy by herself and wanted like a male nanny to kind of like give some sort of guidance in that space. And he was five years old and did not know his dad. So there was a frankness to conversations with him about this thing that were sort of practical in nature. Um, or we would go to like, I remember he took, I took him to a bowling party and he introduced me to two of his friends and was like, uh, this is my babysitter, not my dad. My dad's dead. It just was. And so there is this like, so he and I had a series cause my mom died when I was younger too. So I'm not afraid to talk about death and he was five. And so I don't know, some of this is going to stick and some of it is going to be over his head. And that that stuff that goes over the head, it just does that. It goes over mm -hmm. your head and somewhere else. And then you either find it when you need it or you remember it when it's pertinent or it's lost. And that's okay. All of that's fine. But when we censor ideas or words from anybody, we're not giving them the ability to engage with it. And uh, I mean, in this country in particular, we, I mean, we're still so sort of, and I'm, this is a blanket statement, obviously, but we're still so sort of puritanical sexually that oh. you just have this. <laughs> like, well, and that's something I've never shied away from. And actually, I think I like to always say I was raised by hip, hip, hippies. My parents were hippies. I mean, we had lots of conversation about bodies and sex and all through growing up. And that's something I've tried to give my children is that, you know, it's just a body part. They're just body parts. It's not a big deal. This isn't, there's no reason to be ashamed. We can talk about these things, you know, and there are some funny, awkward things that happened that as a mom, you're kind of like, um, okay, I'm just going to go back to brushing my teeth. Thanks for mm -hmm. talking about that with me. Um, but I think that that's something that romance gives us 
power too. I started reading romance probably younger than I should have. I was 12 when I picked up my first Jude Devereaux in 1990. That was a long time ago, Leah. It so was old. a long time ago. Um, so, you know, but sex, there was sex in those books. Those were trad pub books. Those books were freaking sexy. Um, now, they didn't always have a lot of consent in them. So should you read them now? Probably yes, but not. again, it was 1990. Probably not. <laughs> Different times. Uh-huh. Um, but I think that there is some sexual positivity I have now because I read romance. And I do want to pass that on, particularly to my girl child, and say, hey, you know, this is what good consent looks like. This is what a good partner looks like. This is, you know, it's okay to talk about vibrators. It's okay to talk about orgasms. These are conversations you absolutely should be having with with your friend or with your partner, whoever is important to you. Yeah. So I think that's something romance gives us. I think I'll wait till the double digits for that one. (laughs) Well, oh, yeah. And look, look, I, I don't think that it's I don't think it's unreasonable to say. There's a certain age at which a certain conversation might just mm-hmm. be better. I mean, you. Uh, I think about my relationship to books, right? And you know how, like, sometimes you just you read a great book at the wrong time, or uh-huh. you, or you met but it. An, really, it really resonated with you, like at that time. But then you read it again, like three years later, and you're like, oh, this part has completely new meaning now. Yeah, or you miss it, or or you're just like, it's just it doesn't resonate because it didn't come to you when you needed it. I remember, mm-hmm. or the, I mean, I think it's it's easier for us to remember the moments when the reverse is true. Um, yeah. My freshman year of college, uh, I was given in class, I was given a copy of Dave, uh, Dave Eggers, a heartbreaking work of staggering genius. Okay. And my mother had died. Uh, within the year of my receiving this book and within the first 60 pages of that book, both of his parents die and he is taking on the mantle of raising his kid in San Francisco, his brother in San Francisco. And I felt so unalone for the first time in like a year. Mm-hmm. And so you, there's this, it just, it, I needed that book to come to me then. Um, and actually, many years later, got the great joy of meeting Dave Eggers. In fact, connected to that same kid I used to babysit who had moved to San Francisco and I was out there to take him to his first day of kindergarten. And um, Dave Eggers was speaking and I got to go and told him that story. And he wrote me this beautiful inscription in uh, in the book that I had. And so, you know, yes, should you have a candid conversation about your bob with your eight-year-old no probably not that's just not that's not the time that's not the time for that but you might have it at 13 or 14 and you certainly Mm. don't want to and you certainly don't want to never have it and that's the yeah so yeah um what were you gonna ask leah go ahead i don't remember okay um so i noticed in the front of your book it has a playlist yes so was music a key element to help you tell the story? What's the collation between for you between music and storytelling? Because for me, music is just a different form of storytelling. So when I was writing, I could not listen to music. Uh, I, and I certainly could not listen to any music that had any words in it. Um, any other words in my head was a distraction and I couldn't stay focused if other, anything else was in my head. So um, as far as my writing process goes, silence seems to be the order of the day. Um, as far as the storytelling goes, that playlist is a collection of, it's basically like me getting to be the Trent Reznor 
uh, on the like the on the film lot. <laughs> like now they're now they're making the Chameleon Effect, and they got to soundtrack it. And so they brought in you know D'Angelo or uh, or Trent Reznor or somebody like that to like do the music for it. Um, I love how you pick Trent Reznor out of like everybody. <laughs> well, those I mean that's the he kind of really transition sort of sideways from Nine Inch Nails straight into like doing music for movies. No, in, like, he really, really does. Cool and I love that. But yeah, not he, a lot of people know that. He and the Jizza is another one that does mm-hmm. a lot of uh, film soundtracks now. And, and at this, it takes place in Los Angeles. It's a love story to my hometown. Um, LA stories need to be set to music. Films are set to music. There's no, I, I went to go see uh, John Williams celebrated at the Hollywood Bowl. Uh, a couple of years ago, and Steven Spielberg came out there and showed a scene from Indiana Jones with no music. And then the uh, L.A. Philharmonic played the music in the redo of it, and it was incredible how much power Mm. music brings to cinema. Uh, So I realize I wrote a book here, obviously, but um, look, the first three tracks on that playlist are referenced in the prologue. So some of them are like, I just call out a song. I like music is one of my love languages. So I reference them and I was like, hey, here they are. Um, And that playlist is, by the way, meant to be listened to in chronological order along with the story. So don't let Spotify go shuffle on you on this one or you will be all over the place. (laughs) I do really enjoy this playlist. All right. It It was a great playlist. Because honestly, like this is my kind of music right here. Uh, awesome. My my very my music tastes are pretty varied, and I've spent a lot of time kind of loving and appreciating music. It's hard to grow up in Los Angeles and not have at least some appreciation for mm-hmm. uh, well, musicians. And I'm but... sitting here. You talk about Trent Reznor. I mean, he's a PA guy. I mean, he's from Newcastle. No, he's from Mercer. It is very different than PA. Although I know somebody who dated him. Oh my god! And wow. I, but my you know, fifth know? grade reading teacher. But like grew up, like he grew up near her. How do you know that Trent Reznor's from Mercer, Pennsylvania? Because I grew up in a tiny town outside of Newcastle, Pennsylvania. Okay. Which is 20 minutes from Mercer, Pennsylvania. And well, so... I was going to talk about his Cleveland time because that's how I know him about playing, you know, in downtown Cleveland and being, you know, that's like, anyway, <laughs> this is our Midwestness coming in. It's just these things, I, you know. I moved from one <laughs> tiny town to another tiny town in Pennsylvania. So. Okay. And Trent Reznor was still the biggest star in that whole orbit. So that was just, he was still the guy. He, I think yeah. so. I mean, he's a hes a very big star. I, he is. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else. I remember seeing Nine Inch Nails live. I mean, well, Dan was... Marino came from Beaver. Okay. And that's only about 20 minutes from me. So we have a lot. We have I... a bunch of football players. Those are two. Ironic. Those are two icons of their industry. So our football athlete from my hometown, not talking about because he's not a good person, but he played for Pittsburgh, so he's your problem now. Um, no, but he's I will, retired. He's not my problem anymore. I will lay claim to Gavin Creel. He and I went to high school together, and we're very good theater friends. So I will take him. But other than that, I will take nobody else. Um, I will tell you what's interesting. I because I grew up. I mean, in Los Angeles, like. A lot of people say they're from L.A., but then they're like from, you know, somewhere near-ish because then you just say like the closest. Like if you're you said you're from Newcastle, maybe you just for most people, you'd be like, yeah, I'm from Pittsburgh. We talk about Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah you're like, I'm from Pittsburgh-ish. It's fine. It's, it's close easier. enough for you. Um, There's so like people aren't from L.A. <laughs> Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like and so it's actually very hard 
because so many people that are in L.A. are famous to know who is famous from L.A. Like that subset is a very unique kind of space in the stratosphere. So <laughs> that's it's like, like a whole my other parents layer. lived there in the seventies, but they moved, moved way, way, way. They moved, <laughs> and if they had stayed, maybe you would be famous. Maybe um, <laughs> for all the wrong reasons, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so one of the th- cool things that you do, Joe, and I wanted to bring it up is your Patreon community. You have a phenomenal Patreon community and you guys do some really cool things. I know that recently you did some interview with some other audio narrators. Um, Yeah. And that's, it's such a great community. What inspired you to start Patreon? Um, So thank you very much. I am very proud of that space. Uh, It's called Joe Arden's Audio Attic. Uh, So on Facebook, the fan group is The Garden and then over on Patreon, we have an audio attic. So uh, those of us in that community, we just talk about building together, building and growing and nurturing. Um, the language that we share with each other is that of positivity and uplifting and um, recognizing that there is room on this planet for everyone's light to shine and that uh, we can allow ours to shine the brightest by collecting ourselves with other lights and letting them shine with us. And um, so I'm thrilled. And this book coming out was a real kind of reminder of just how strong that community has been. Um, they, the Arden's Garden community made me um, an audiobook of thanks. So there's 140 people that all like shared just audio thanks with me. And so few of the comments were about my work as a narrator and so much about just like advocating for safe spaces and agency and allyship. And uh, I'm so moved by that and so grateful for it. Um, For me, Patreon was actually the first space I wanted to move toward after I co-wrote with Lauren, because what I felt, the sense of pride I felt of creative ownership over a story with uh, the, the, the book I wrote with Lauren, I was like, well, look, I love telling stories. I love narrating. I'm not going to be a full-time author. I don't have the time for that. I don't have the aptitude, any number of things. But I do want to keep creating, and I want to create a community that um, will motivate me to create more and to find clever, creative, unique ways to continue to create uh, inside of that space that is truly the way artists used to operate, where they are patrons. Like, they are they are telling me financially that they support what I do creatively and encourage me to continue to create. And the weekly features, the daily check-ins have grown and amplified and morphed over the last year plus of this experience. And it has been incredible to like have an idea and then like say, Hey, what if we started doing this and get a community to respond? Um, the Patreon community just sent me a video of congratulations and all of them shared the uh, mantra that they loved the most. So the first year of the audio attic, every week I wrote and shared uh, a weekly mantra and I did 52 of them. So there is a year of affirmations. Um, week three was you are enough. And it was just me kind of putting that into the universe. And I did 52 of them and they were all original and I worked on all of them and I told them, I was like, I'm going to try and do this for a year. And if I can do it for a year, great. And I may need to transition to something else after that. And now we do something called weekly wisdom where I pull 
from great texts, and I quote Gandhi or uh, Marcus Garvey or, you know, some other thinker, Dorothy Parker, whoever, like just somebody else. <laughs> so like, so um, I, I love it in there. And they um, are so thrilled to have this shared space that is a safe space. And I went live uh, on Discord just last night and uh, invited folks up on a stage because the format inside Discord is really interactive. So I can talk, but I can like bring somebody up there and we can talk. And this uh, woman came up there and started talking and we were having a great, fun, funny conversation. And then she volunteered that like she's working through a pretty aggressive form of cancer and that uh, audio stories and that this community have given her a space to check in when she's too tired to talk or when she's alone in a rehab facility. And I hear so many stories like that that are so incredible and so beyond sexy stories with happy endings. Like they're just full on human experiences that are full of love and light and laughter and so much goodness. And I'm, I, you know, I, I always say we there because we have built this space there that is um, incredible. The, uh, interview that you were talking about, this is another example of like an idea I had that then turned into a thing. I wanted to celebrate hitting a certain milestone. And I was like, if we hit this number, we're going to throw a party. And I'm going to ask Sebastian York to come in here. And uh, he's a very good friend of mine. And I'll interview him because he's never out there. And he really wanted to do it. And so I interviewed him and people fucking loved it. And so now there is a monthly feature inside of there that uh, we are affectionately calling uh, Not a Real Podcast with the real Joe Arden. And I'm going to interview one industry pro a month. Uh, month two is already set up September 23rd. Uh, Julia Whalen, uh, who is a narrator of incredible renown and skill and who also just wrote Thank You for Listening, uh, is going to come in there and she's going to read my book. And I am reading her book, and we're going to talk to each other about that. Um, so all sorts of stuff like that. I go live and record and just like, I'm like, hey, this is me recording this for the first time. Here's a chapter from so-and-so's book. Uh, happy listening. And like dive in and do stuff like that. And it's been more than I ever could have possibly imagined. And um, yeah. It's a beautiful community. I feel like I'm rambling, but I just am No, so... we we get it because we too have a Patreon and um, that's part of our podcast. And one of the things is, you know, we're a completely independent podcast. We are not owned by any other network. Yeah. We create our own feed. We don't, you know, we're, I'm fortunate we have an IT guy that does all our, I married him so that he has to keep doing it. Um, and, you know, he does all of our editing and web building and all that. So we're very lucky. But, you know, we've had members in our Patreon community that have said, your book club, I was devastated because I had learned that I was going to have some fertility issues. And they had um, had a miscarriage. And they said, I found your book club and you created this community in this space that I didn't even know I needed. Um, or, you know, people who with accessibility issues that can't get out into the world as much as they want, but can join us for our virtual things and things like that. And for me personally, during quarantine, I was stuck at home. I have a transplant kid. We couldn't go in the world, even with masks. It was just too much risk. Yeah. And um, our my community, the Patreon that we have for uh, Buzzing About Romance saved me in ways too that people don't even realize. So we get it. We get that, you know, 
it's more than just it's more than just words. It's the feels that come along with being a part of something bigger than you could ever imagine. I mentioned the Dave Eggers uh, moment earlier, and I, there are several others that I could tap into. But the thing that I'm hearing from you that it makes me think of is that life can be really hard sometimes. Um, and I really believe that we are all made of the kind of stuff that will uh, set us up to endure trauma and tragedy and to overcome. And that when we are bested by those things, it is when we feel alone. As long as we know we are not alone, there is nothing that we cannot overcome or face head on. And your community, your community gives people space and agency to feel connected to something and not just feel it. They are fucking are connected to something and they have people to check into. Um, there was somebody in my community that said that they were um, messaging on the discord um, the day that they walked out of their church because they wanted to stand up for uh, something that their pastor was not advocating for and they needed that strength. They felt in their bones that they needed to stand for something and that they needed this community. They needed just to know that they weren't alone. And so good on you ladies for, you know, for recognizing that it's more than just like interviewing folks and putting it out in the world that like people are engaged in the community and you've opened a door for them to belong. And it's, it feels fucking great, doesn't it? <laughs> it well, it really does, it does. Because like you said earlier, you know, romance, being a romance reader, sometimes it's hard to stand up and yell, I read romance. I am proud that I read romance. Yeah. And Lee and I are. We're very proud. And, you know, we have discussions about it all the time, but not everyone is as privileged as we are. And so we have to take moments and be like, check your privilege. <laughs> uh, Remember where you are. community also, like, they understand, like, it, like, our community, our Discord, like, our Patreon, like, we're a safe space. Like, we don't. Becky and I don't have the best filters. So they understand like they don't need to filter their feelings or their emotions, like, and nobody's going to judge them for it. If they have strong feelings about something like, and they don't feel like they can share that with their real life people, mm -hmm. not that we're not real life people, you know what I mean? Yeah. But like, they feel comfortable coming out saying, I just need to vent about this. This is how I'm feeling. And like, they are happy that they found this safe space where they can talk about things that they don't necessarily talk about with the other people in their lives. For some in the audio attic community and in the garden, uh, they've become real life friends. I, mm -hmm. I got, I got, uh, I got a photo shared with me from six of the audio attic community that all decided to get together at the Minnesota state fair this month. <laughs> and there they were, they, planned a trip. And so, yeah, they took this online community and they turned it into a part of their IRL experience. And mm -hmm. wow. I mean, wow. Well, that's, that's funny because Becky and I have actually never met in real life. What? No, mm -hmm. no. We met through like the podcast community and we have never physically ever met. I well, I'm a germaphobe daily. It's it's partly my fault. I'm a germaphobe, and so we haven't. We're yes, just now. We have only known each other world. for a couple years now. It's been like two years, and we like we talk almost daily, but we have never physically been in like the same. The well, same even room. in the same state. We've no, never been in the same state. 
I think that Howie Mandel is also a germaphobe, and that man he hosts uh, game shows and television shows. So if yeah. he can overcome, well, he has really bad. Well, he, I'm OCD better now. There's immunizations and things happening that I'm oh. better now about sure. it. Sure, <laughs> sure. But you but know, now, yes. for, now schedules are out of control. <laughs> you know, now the children have events and they're going to college, and college is fucking expensive. People, oh, yeah. do not send two kids to college at the same time. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. Heard. It's a lot of money. Um, okay, Joe. So what's next? What can people expect next from you? Obviously, you said you're not sure if you're going to write another book. Maybe. I have but... two. I, I'll tell you right now that I do have two ideas for stories I really would like to tell. One of them is a continuation inside of this space with two of the characters that are in the chameleon effect. Um, that needs some time to be maturized and analyzed and thought about um and then there's another one that's kind of out of left field but i think would make a really great uh love story romance in a little bit of a darker uh more the kind of like the this hero would be a little more in the kind of like alpha sort of dick guy vibes that i think would be kind of fun to write after writing <laughs> liam in this very sort of emotionally available space yeah because <laughs> liam's kind of a simon role but i do like an alpha hole or a stern brunch daddy. So I, Ooh, yes. I just read a review and somebody referred to Liam as a cinnamon roll. And I had, I've spent what, six or seven years in this business and I'd never seen that before. And I was like, I love that. He is a little cinnamon roll. Uh, mm -hmm. He is a cinnamon roll. He is soft and squishy inside. He's so yeah. soft and squishy. But yeah. we, we are big fans of the stern brunch uh, daddy. So, so the actual next thing is um, Inside of Patreon, I do public domain readings, and last year I released a collection of Edgar Allan Poe stories. Uh, you can now get those on Audible. They're performed weekly for the audio addict community and then uh, edited and worked on. I recently recorded Ethan Frome, the Edith Wharton uh, turn-of-the-century classic, and um, I really loved the story. And I enlisted the incredible talents of Amanda Rose Smith, who is an audio engineer par excellence, like next level. And she turned this book into a fucking movie. It's amazing. So um, she's audio mastered, engineered, and scored the entire thing. It's all original music. It's all original sound effects. It is really eerie cool. and present. And it is so awesome. Um, so I'm going to release that. Uh, which nobody has heard. The Patreon community heard me narrate the book, but they did not. This is what I'm talking about. Like, I like bringing artists in that have their own set of gifts. Amanda Rose Smith is a collaborator on this project, and I will never talk about this audio without her because it doesn't exist without her in this form. Um, so that's going to come out sometime in October. Um, so be on the lookout for that. And uh, I've also worked with a... Uh, letterpress designer, which is like um, posters that are made by hand, like mm -hmm. put ink on the on the blocks and then roll the paper over it. Um, he and I are collaborating on a series of prints that take some of my um, aphorisms and turn them into posters. Uh, so the first one is uh, love, love, hate, hate. And he's done a limited edition run in two different colorways. And I'm going to release those around the holidays. So fun. Yeah. That is fun. That is fun. Um, Joe, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for coming on and talking about a chameleon, the chameleon effect. It will be available now at the dropping of this episode. And it is available in Kindle Unlimited. And the audiobook is 
is it an Audible exclusive on it the is, audiobook? Uh, Kindle Unlimited for anybody that wants to take a chance on Joe as a new author. Um, <laughs> and Audible exclusive for folks that want the audio. And I do obviously strongly recommend the audio version. <laughs> um, and then if you would like, uh, I have paperback and special edition hardback covers that are available mm -hmm. uh, on my website uh, for purchase. The paperbacks, you can also order a paperback from Amazon, but for the same price, you can get it from me directly and I sign it. And the hardbacks are personalized and the cover was designed by Emily Wittig and it's beautiful and I love it. Check it out on my website and if you like it, you can buy it or you can pick it up from uh, me in Lexington, Kentucky, or uh, Vegas at Authors in the yeah. Blue Grass, so I love in Vegas. Oh, fun. That's right. You're going to be part of Aaron. Ma we had Aaron Mallon for our readathon, which was our live stream event we did on Labor Day for National Read a Book Day. And you're going to take part in her audio play at Love in Vegas, right? I, uh, Aaron asked me to be the voice of Atticus Barnswallow, which is like the sort of the platonic ideal but also like the sort of worst part of every male narrator it's like <laughs> she's such a good writer and it's honest it she never feels like she's making fun of something it always feels like she's analyzing it with love and care and so i think atticus is both wonderfully relatable and awfully narcissistic and sort of in his own space <laughs> and it's and i she she asked me to voice him and i have had such a just a joyous time doing those three audio plays and um she is a mastermind and she's going to have all three of these plays performed live in vegas uh right after the love in vegas unaffiliated but right after the love in vegas uh con and i am gonna fly out there and be a part of that so yep um and we'll link all of this in our on the shelf show notes for everybody we'll link joe's social media the patreon his website and then the love in vegas i last i looked i think there were a few tickets left for the audio play reading um you can get uh you can get a ticket to watch them from your couch too she's got live stream mm -hmm. that's option. right she has the virtual ticket so, so. um Joe, once again, thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited to have had the opportunity to chat with you, and we hope everybody will go out and read your book because it's good. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Okay, so Fractured Sky by Catherine Cowles is book five in her Tattered and Torn and Torn series. series. And it's the story of Shiloh and Ramsey. And if you have not read this series, you are just do it already. I mean, honestly, people. So this book is coming out in late October and mm -hmm. Lyric Audio provided us a snippet of this coming soon audiobook featuring Joe Arden. And so Leah and I are going to listen to it. So thank you to Lyric Audio uh, and Lyric mm -hmm. Studio for this um Snippet, we're going to listen to you, and then we'll talk about it after we listen. Movement flickered in the corner of my eye. My dog, Kai, had taken off across the field towards the ridge in the distance. He'd seen her before I had. Over the years, we'd both become attuned to her presence, like heat-seeking missiles, but he had that sense of smell on his side. Shiloh's hair caught in the breeze, that mix of gold and brown. I didn't blame my damn dog for chasing after her, she was the kind of beautiful that lit a fire in your veins. That kind of beauty was dangerous. Kai leapt, and Shiloh caught him in a sort of hug that ended with them rolling on the ground. 
Her horse looked on warily. I understood the reaction. Kai was half wolf, half some other undiscernible breed. Undiscernible because the wolf half had taken over so thoroughly. The first time Shiloh had shown up here, I hadn't a clue who she was. She'd sat on that same ridge, not approaching. I'd started in her direction to tell her to get the hell off my land before I shot her for trespassing when a miraculous thing happened. Kai, who was suspicious of every human besides me, had charged. For a split second, I'd thought he was going to attack her, but Shiloh hadn't shown even an ounce of fear. She'd simply opened her arms to the beast, and they'd fallen into a tumble like old friends. I hadn't had it in me to break them apart. Instead, I'd gone back to work. I'd expected her to approach the pen, but she'd never moved from her spot on the ridge. Sometimes she came daily, other times I didn't see her for a week or two. But somewhere along the line, I'd started to think of that spot as hers. The idea irked me. This was my property. I could count on one hand the number of people I'd let cross its borders, and yet here she was, making herself at home. But then I remembered what she'd been through. It had all clicked on her second visit. Something about the pain in those blue eyes had triggered a memory of the countless articles I'd seen in the local paper, ones that revealed far more details than I was sure Shiloh wanted out in the world. Um, okay. First of all, <laughs> is that explaining their first, like, meet-cute in the book? Well, so if you read Shattered Sea, that is like the first chapter of the book. Oh, of fractured sky. Like that's how it opens up basically. Like there's a prologue. I didn't read the end see. part. I did stupidly. I did. And then I yelled <laughs> at Catherine. Let me just tell you, I sent her a message and I yelled at her and told her she's a dirty tease. But no, that is like the opening of the book. Like that is first Ramsey Shiloh sighting. I have so many feels for this book. And all I have now heard is this opening chapter and the freaking blurb and read the well, previous get, four books. So if you read Shattered Sea, you get little snippets of like her and Ramsey's relationship or non-relationship as it may be, like the way the book is. And it, oh, it's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. I cannot wait. Um, I apologize for what's going on up there. I don't apparently. know what's happening. <laughs> um, Okay, so like I said, Fractured Skies by Catherine Cowles releases mid to end October. I think it's like the 23rd or something like that. I think it's the 25th, maybe. Um, I don't so know. We will, link, something. we will link it in our show notes um, and you can pre-order the audio or the book now. I'm going to have to totally listen to this audio too. <laughs> yeah. It's well, be so good. So good. So very good. Okay, Leah. It's that time. It's that time for book. Book of the, the week. week. So it's been a minute. We're going to have to video us doing book of the week sometime <laughs> to share. It's been a minute since we've had a book of the week because when we it recorded has. Mary Carr's episode, we both were kind of slumping. We were kind of slumping, but let me tell you the day that we're recording this episode or this outro part, there were like, no joke, like 30 books released. And I think I read or read or am going to read like 15 of them. Yeah. I'm pretty excited. My uh, Kindle had several downloads today also. So I can load my Kindle is so full right now. It's, I have for the first time, 
in the first time in a long time thing. I have hit my 20 max in Kindle Unlimited mm. because there are several of them that are Kindle Unlimited that I'm like yes download please mm-hmm. download there's a please. lot of a lot of good books released recently yep. but anyway so my book of the week was no time to lie. I love Lexi Blake and this book was exactly what I wanted. Although now I have to wait until freaking February for the next one. And I adore Lexi and I get that it takes her a while to write these books, but honestly, Kyle and maybe's book is coming in February, but at least they're next. So, I mean, I can't complain too much, but Taylor and Drake are the hero and heroine in no time to lie. And they were two people who really were not living until they met each other. Of course, it's not smooth sailing because it's Lexi Blake. Um, but Ian Taggart, who, if you have read this series, like the wisdom of Ian Taggart, he always imparts some great wisdom using the words loosely but this in this book it is not all his sarcasm and snark and humor like there's some I mean it's encased in the snark and humor but it's really emotionally like smart too but it's good so you should read it this is the what second about you? Gen. what was your book of the week this is second gen of masters and mercenary right it is this is book five in masters and mercenaries reloaded reloaded so um okay so i'm in a rabbit hole it's a mild obsession it's a delightful place to be it's a completely controllable obsession like is not addicted <clears throat> um, it is the ryan roundup of chaos though. it is the ryan roundup of chaos so i have stumbled deeper into my kaylee ryan rabbit hole i read her riggins brother series uh my favorite in this five book series is book two it's piece by piece. The story is of Owen and Layla. He is a bearded hero who is more of a watcher of life than a participator. Okay. Um, because of the family's wealth, he avoids interactions outside of the family. He doesn't have a large friend base. I don't want to say he's grumpy because he's not grumpy. He is simply just shy. He's an observer. He's not, he's an introvert, not an extrovert. Um, but he does have some Grant qualities from Melissa. Oh, yeah. yeah. Grant Silver qualities. Yeah. He's just, nice. um, because He's of like the family. adjacent. Yeah. Because of the family's wealth, like I said, he doesn't pursue relationships or people outside of the family circle. Um, and Layla is a young waitress he meets while checking out a hotel for an investment. And he pursues her, which is the flip, because mm-hmm. that is not his typical he starts showing up for every meal at the restaurant she waitresses at that's part of the hotel um and this bearded man of mystery is really brought to life by layla and layla is so fierce in her resolve to be self-sufficient but not to the point of annoyance you know how sometimes we Mm -hmm. get a really self-sufficient hero and that will not even take like a well, slight little boost. Like they take self-sufficient to like the stubborn. Right. Like it's a stubbornness, self-sufficient. Like she, being self-sufficient is one thing, but being capable and able of asking for help is part of that. Yeah. And she's not like that. So she had this terrible upbringing and nothing had ever been easy for her. She worked hard. And even though Owen can give her the world, she makes him work for it. She doesn't just say, oh, look, the billionaire loves me. I will just take the free ride 
I love when that happens though. It was, and actually that makes me think of an Anna Hackett book. I think it's book three in her Norcross. No, it might be book, no book three. So the hero is a billionaire and the heroine's like, stop spending money on me. Yeah. Like she makes him give her a job, but first she confirms with his brother that this job really exists in the company, Mm -hmm. that he's not making it up. So honestly, I love when that happens though, because like you, like they can truly see like, this is somebody who likes me for me. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Okay. So it's Patreon update time. Um, first of all, thank you to all our patrons. They're Mm -hmm. the best people in the world. And we would not be able to do this without them. Not at all. Um, so we do have a new Patreon member. She is Dexter the Goose. And I believe her given name is Danielle, but I don't know. So, But I love that she used that. Yeah, me too. Um, Honestly, when I was reading the show, like the show, like script, I was like, Dexter the Goose? Like that made my day. Um, I believe she found us during readathon. So... Welcome okay. to the community. Welcome. And happy one year anniversary to Ophelia. She joined Ooh. the chaos one year ago. And um, we're excited to have her as a part of the community. She adds a lot. Um, and she keeps us she, on our toes. She does, but she's a lot of fun too. She, she can handle our chaos. She can. Um, so we are grateful for all of our Patreon supporters like Katie, Christina with an R and <laughs> Kelly and Danica, uh, without you guys, we would not be able to bring this podcast. And so thank you. We recently did update our Patreon perks. Some of our perks include monthly swag packs, bonus content, like should I read it buzzing after dark and drunk book club. There are also merch discounts, quarterly reading journals, and another round episodes, Coffee of the Month Club, and the biannual author roundtable. I will say, even if you join the Patreon in the middle of September, because this episode drops September 18th, if you join at the fancy drinks level or above, you still get September's swag pack. I will mail mm-hmm. it out within days. Um, if you say you join September 30th, I will send you September swag pack, and then October 5th, you will get October swag pack. And it's really cool because featured in August Swag Pack and September Swag Pack, we had um, exclusive team logos. Author stickers. Author stickers <clears throat> from uh, Author Sawyer Bennett. So if you're an author listening to our podcast and you have a business logo or a team logo that goes to one of your stories, or you would like to have one created that we could feature exclusively in our uh, Patreon swag packs, please reach out to the bees at bookcaseandcoffee.com and we would love to add those into our swag mm-hmm. packs. But or help create them. The girl child and I spent some time with Michael's I don't Somebody. know. Somebody. Supervision. Because unsupervised, we know I get in trouble. And mm-hmm. we're coming up with some cool things that are not just stickers to put in the swag packs. Ooh. We looked at keychains, chapstick holders, different kinds of bookmarks. So there was leather involved. I don't know if you and the girl child should be left unsupervised <laughs> at all. Mike was there. He supervised. After all the wine. I know, right? Well, it was not then, but that's yeah. the best time to do it though. <laughs> Cause then he just says, yes, he does say yes. Um, so <laughs> 
In October, we're hosting our next author roundtable discussion. It will feature author Jay Salmon. Her roundtable will take place on the 12th of October. Details can be found at patreon.com slash bookcase and coffee. That's what I got for Patreon. Okay. What's um, next? Drunk Book Club. Um, October's Drunk Book Club is going to feature author Juliet Cross. And I am super excited to ask her about sex nachos, people. I'm excited <laughs> about this. But we are going to read one of her paranormal books. We're going to read Wolf Gone Wild. So if you would like to join us and are not a member of Patreon, send us an email and we can give you a one-time listen or one-time tryout because we know we're a lot and not everybody likes us, but we love that people come and hang out with us for a night to see if we do like it. And Juliet is going to be a drunk book club. Um, I don't have a date October though. 15th. I don't know what the date is. October 15th. October 15th. Thank you for that because you didn't write it down and I, I can't didn't. remember these dates. There's a lot of dates <laughs> in my head, but yes, yeah, so Juliet will be there and I'm super excited and Becky's excited and we've never done a paranormal read for drunk book club. So that's something new and different for us, but we thought for October, this would be a perfect thing. I'm for excited. Halloween. And these covers are like adorable. And they're wonderful. my catnip. I'm going to need bright them all. and fun. Yeah, I know. I'm going to need them all. You're going to need a new bookshelf. <laughs> Like I don't already need new bookshelves. Oh, this is true. Um, okay, so next time, Leah and I are kind. We picked a trope talk that's a little bit of a pet peeve for us. It makes us a little grumpy. Grumpy being the keyword here. Okay, so we are going to tackle the trope: grumpy sunshine, opposites attract, and the alpha hole. Um. Are these things the same? Somebody shared a Venn diagram of these things. <laughs> so we will, we will Venn. We're going to Venn. And to see, because in my opinion, grumpy sunshine should never cross with an alpha hole. No. It can be opposites attract, but it should never touch the alpha hole. Because an alpha no, hole is just an alpha asshole. Hole. Yes. Anyway. So we're going to get into this next time um, as to what makes a grump truly a grump and not just an asshole. An asshole. So. But sometimes uh, we do love an asshole. Yeah. Um, so you'll want to join us for that next episode because we have clear thoughts. Very clear thoughts. Yes. And a lot and of them. And we promise book wrecks. We promise book wrecks of good examples <laughs> I mean, of all of these If you're these listening tropes. to us. You're going to get the book wrecks. You know that for a fact. Yeah. So. so we expect lots expect lots of book wrecks to fall under opposites attract. Really good examples of grumpy sunshine and really mm -hmm. good examples of the alpha hole. The other thing is, is we're going to throw out the term and not use it, the word reverse. Oh, yeah. We're not using like that. that. And we'll talk about that next time. You can hear my opinion. Because we have thoughts on that, too. Anyway, until next time, everyone. Happy reading, everybody. Find us on Instagram at buzzingaboutromance or on Twitter at buzzingromance. If you like the podcast, please leave a review. If you'd like to support us directly, join the Bookcase and Coffee Patreon and receive exclusive content only available to Patreon members. Check out bookcaseandcoffee.com for our on-the-shelf show notes.